0: This episode of Band Basics is brought to you by Apache Tattoo in Chandler, Arizona. Whether you're ready to celebrate your favorite song lyric or get a traditional portrait of your favorite artist, Apache Tattoo can help bring your music love to life with living art. Or you could always get the Band Basics logo to show your love of this podcast. Not saying you have to, just saying maybe think about it. Follow Apache Tattoo on Instagram at Apache underscore tattoo or call 480 899 0847 to book your appointment today and support the businesses that support the arts. You're tuned into Band Basics, a Yabium podcast. Our guest today is Mike Zimmerman, founder of 8020 Records. Mike, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Band Basics. Oh, my pleasure. It's uh, great to have you down. It's been a minute since uh, I've done one of these. So thanks again for um, helping me uh, get back on track here. We've actually had a few conversations in the past couple months, and um, I'm glad to get some of these maybe down in uh, an actual recorded capacity, because I think they've been pretty good talking about all sorts of things. So I'd like to delve into some of those today. First and foremost, I guess I just want to ask, why start 8020 Records?
1: Wow, that's a very long story. So uh, the short version of it was I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was 18 years old. Okay. So uh, we had a thing in high school called Market Day. Oh, okay. And uh, I went to Desert Mountain High School up in North Scottsdale. All right. And so what we did was we had to come up with an idea for a product, and we had to sell it to our fellow classmates in the hallways. And so we came up with a yearbook DVD. This was back in like 2003, so this was (laughs) like DVDs were a thing, and so we decided that okay, uh, it was a a good friend of mine. We decided to create this uh, DVD of different kinds of footage. We actually made a contract and negotiated with the TV station from the high school to put it in there. Okay, so we did all these these things, and we ended up selling them, and we sold about I don't know four to six copies. It didn't do well. (laughs) But I loved the entire process. I loved the fact of being able to sell something and people really – the people who did buy it really appreciated it. Right. And we created something of value where you know it was a whole catalog of the entire year of what school was like for us yeah. and our senior year. So when I graduated high school, I went to ASU and uh, my good friend went to U of A. And we just got along so well, so I told him, I said, I really wanted to do something else. So I had two notebooks. I had one on the side of just class notes and another book on all business ideas. And so I would come up with an idea. I would take out my notebook and I just write them down. I would have pages and pages (laughs) of different notes. And so I had a couple of ideas. And the first one I came across was... Uh, an idea for a website where we would host our own internet radio stations and people can upload their music for free and just tell us what genre they wanted uh, to be under and it would put, all likely be put into rotation. Wow. So, so this was like right when Pandora and Lasted FM okay. got like, really popular. So it took us about two years because I was a full-time student and I was working 26 hours a week in technical support and my buddy was uh, studying at U of A so he was a full-time Student down there, so literally is during the weekends when we had some time, we had nothing else going on. So it took us about two years to build the site just to get like a beta version out. Wow. And uh, so we did. And even just by word of mouth, we did really well. I mean, we had about three thousand unique visitors per month and that was just Solid. letting letting people know that it existed. So we were pretty happy about it, but we realized that there was not much difference between us and, you know, the big boys, like greater okay. or, or less at FM. So we we're deciding what to do next and uh, funny enough actually while this was all going on my buddy got an internship at Microsoft in Seattle Wow! so he asked me if I want to just go up to Seattle for the summer with a whole bunch of other friends of ours and I said sure so we went up to Seattle and while we were there we were going back and forth on what to do next with our project and he just blurted out at one point saying why don't we start a record label and I said sure okay I don't know how it works but okay we'll do it and I said but if we're gonna do this, I want I want to give as much back as possible. This was right around the time when the RIAA was suing everyone left and right, gotcha. and this is like the the uh, late two thousands. So it was right around that time, and a lot of articles were coming out on labels that were mistreating their artists. And um, you know, fortunately, I don't feel that's the the. Um, the normalcy, if you will, is more of the exception to the rule. But still, there was a lot of negative, uh, negative reactions to artists, I mean, to labels on how they interacted with their artists. So I said, What if we gave 80% back? And he looked at me and said, You're absolutely insane. <laughs> and he thought about it for a second and said, I love the idea. Let's do it. That's
0: really awesome. And that actually kind of leads me to my next question. How did you choose the name, which I guess you just sort of answered.
1: Yeah, and funny, though. We we actually went through a whole bunch of other names first. I don't remember them, and honestly, they were all awful names. Bad, 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 bad (laughs) bad names. So we said, okay, uh... You know, we went back and forth. I I kept on giving him names and he kept on just shooting down and I'm the optimist and he's the pessimist. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So he would keep on shooting them down and I got frustrated. I told him, I said, Well, come up with your own idea for change. And so he looked at me and he said, Well, you know, the whole point is giving eight percent back, right? And I said, Yeah. he goes, Why don't we just call it A20 Records? And it was like that light bulb moment. I was like, Yep. That's the name. Yeah, that's and great. we just stuck with it. I mean, it's it's uh, it's
0: it does exactly what it does. It's it's like catchy, but it's also very informative. I mean, it says it
1: all in the name. Yeah, I feel like it is, and you know, it's funny because you know we've been around now for eleven years, and that was our original philosophy was the fact of giving eighty percent back. But it was not just about giving eighty percent back to artists. It was about ch- treating artists fairly and with respect, and making sure that. Uh, that they're getting compensated you know, well for their music. That was always the con- concept behind 80-20 Records. It wasn't just about giving 80% back. It was making a statement right, about right. treating artists in a certain way. And then even that concept evolved where, um, to get nerdy for a second, you know about the Pareto Principle? No. Okay. So the Pareto Principle is this whole concept of the – or it's also called the 80-20 rule is another name for it. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, right? So I was learning right before I started 8020 Records about this whole concept. And basically, it has a number of factors, but in business, they found that on average that you know, for example, 80% of what you make come from, comes from 20% of your customers. Uh, 80% of your, uh, 20% of your work yields 80% of results. Oh, huh, okay. So it, it made me start thinking about, wow, this is this is insane that, you know, not everything is created equally. And this really starts delving deeper into what we do well, and what we not do well, and things like that. They also found in Nature, too, they found that uh, 20% of, uh, pea pods create 8% of peas. <laughs> it's like all these wild things about this ratio. And now, these days you'll hear like 90 10 or 91 9. Like there's a variations on it, but it's the same. It's basically the same thing, same concept, which is that the majority of something usually comes from the minority of something else. Wow.
0: Yes. Yes. And you, as you were saying, you had just recently learned of this right before starting the label?
1: Yeah, funny, so after I went to college for business, I found out about this afterwards, so, <laughs> but I was I was reading some sort of article about it, and it just blew my mind, and yeah. I just, thought, like the, that whole concept, it just completely changed my way of thinking, and how to do things more efficiently.
0: Well, I, I feel like it was very conciliatory with what you ended up doing and f- founding with the 8020 Records, if that was that within recent if if both of those events happened recently within one another, maybe they didn't. Maybe they there's did. a couple of years between.
1: Yeah, it was like I'm trying to remember when I first found out about this thing, but it was it was probably about a couple of months or maybe about a year at most. Oh, okay. Between then and when I started the label and. Uh, yeah, I, it was just one of those things where it was that fascination of the whole 80-20 rule and then also the concept of giving as much back to artists as humanly possible. So for me, it was just – I just connected the dots and right. and I said, OK, well, let's that, – that's why I came up with the 80%. It wasn't necessarily arbitrary. It was because of the 80-20 rule that I said let's – Let's let's see if we can make that happen.
0: And you had that concept first before you even had the name. And then sort of the name was just dropped as like, oh, well, yeah, this makes the most sense. Exactly. Wow, that's really cool. Well, um, before I I get further into questions about the label, because I do have more, um, I'm just curious – if you have any musical training yourself, or do you play any instruments or sing or anything like
1: that? Yeah, yes. Uh, in the past, I don't play as much as, as I uh, used to. But I... I learned piano when I was about five years old. Okay. So my parents both were—they went to school like they, they were both in band. That's actually how they met, was in band. Oh wow! Yeah. So okay. my father played the trumpet and my mother played the clarinet. My and an uncle are music teachers. So oh wow! M- you know, music was a very big part of my life since the very beginning. Definitely. So when I was. You know, just kindergarten, first grade, I was starting taking private piano lessons. Okay. And being trained classically. And did that until, uh, actually, until I moved from New York to Phoenix. So I'd been doing that for 10, was playing piano for 10 years. And then, while I was in grade school, when you had to go in band, obviously I had to pick some sort of instrument, either band or orchestra, and so band was going to be a natural choice because my mother playing clarinet and my father playing trumpet. So my mom gave me her clarinet to try out, and then my dad gave me his trumpet to try out, and said, "Okay, you know, just just have an idea of which one would you like to go for," and then landed on the trumpet. Okay. And then when I was in high school. I became, that that was my thing, is is trumpet. So anything that I could do playing trumpet in school, I did. So marching band, I was a huge marching band nerd. Okay. Uh, I was in jazz bands. I was in all the jazz competitions, all those kinds of things. So I was really into that scene back then. And uh, so all those different types of things I was in. And also it was uh, being uh, uh, jazz trained by a uh, pro jazz player, trumpet player too. So I did that for about about 15 years as well all through college I was doing uh, jazz trumpet I, I just
0: I could be wrong here but I have a feeling that it helps to be in the mind of the musicians that you're working with being a musician yourself as opposed to maybe many people that own or run labels that have no training in that field
1: Yeah. Or maybe it doesn't come into effect at all. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking that myself because nowadays I don't really get to play much music anymore. A lot of the music theory I don't remember, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I did take some music theory classes in the past. But, you know, like anything else, if you don't keep it, keep it up. It kind of goes back in your memories. Absolutely. So for those reasons, so sometimes I have a hard time connecting with my own artists at that level because it's just been so long since I used sure. that knowledge. And it's great to, to talk to them in that way because some of it starts coming back to me. So I would say that I don't think it's a necessity, but it does help you understand. You know, For example, what I did was when I started 8020 Records, at that time I was still taking private lessons for trumpet, but I, there was no outlet for me to really play trumpet anymore or any outlet that I wanted to be in. So I decided, okay, well... You know, I've always been curious about the guitar. So I started taking some guitar lessons oh, so cool. that that's this way I can connect with artists in that way. And I did that for about a year or so. I never really got pick up. I could do bar chords and things like that, but that was, <laughs> that was about it. But it was great because then I could understand from that perspective from an artist, since a lot of artists I work with play guitar, I can at least understand to some degree about what it takes to play that instrument. Right. And it gave me a new appreciation for them um in that way so i think that would be the biggest thing is the appreciation of the craft itself because being a musician i know how hard it is to to practice to rehearse and how hard it is to work and how and how nerve-wracking it is to have a performance and um how much it means to have support behind that
0: right yeah especially when they're in sort of the depths or throngs of creativity like i don't know it's the uh, the ability to generate, you know, songs just and and as on a on a serious professional lo- level, like when you're signed to a label, I just I feel like. Yeah, that's, there's definitely some pressure there.
1: Oh, it is. In fact, at one point, I tried to do my own songwriting just so I understood that. I wrote one song. It was the worst <laughs> thing possible. I don't even remember what it was. But I said, okay, that's definitely not my thing. Like, definitely, <laughs> I'm going to leave it to them to do the songwriting. I, I respect them for doing that. But I learned very quickly I'm definitely not a songwriter. That is awesome.
0: Um, well, okay. So back to the label. After talking about all this, you've been running it for eleven years. You, you still are a very young man yourself. So when did you start this? Like twenty-three? Yeah, actually, literally oh, twenty-three. Oh, okay. That's awesome. So you start a label at twenty-three. You what? What did you? How, what did you start with? Like what? What were some of the
1: first things you you started doing? So what I did was I bought two books I found on Amazon. One was called Record Label Marketing, and another one was called Music Law. And, like, that was literally my criteria (laughs) for finding the books. Hey, good place to start. Good place to start, right? I should know about the law behind it and the legals, and then I should also understand how to market it. So I bought those two uh, textbooks. I went through the Music Law book from start to finish so I could understand it. And then for the record label marketing, I went through it and went, okay, those things make sense these things don't make sense anymore because a lot of you know they were talking about like retail and how retail works i'm like no this would make because this is like right when you know itunes and even spotify was now coming about so i said nope i'm not going to deal with retail that's just crazy and i said and then there were some other things in there i said nope i'm not going to do that either because i can't do it or you know i just don't you know think that that works for today so i literally started writing my own rules as i was reading the book and i said these these make sense these don't make sense or I can't do these, so I'm going to figure something else out. And uh, in the book, one of the books had a sample uh, contract. So I printed that contract out, found a friend of mine who did electronic music, and I told him, I said, hey, I have no idea what I'm doing, but here's a sample contract, and I'll help you figure out how to get it onto iTunes. And he goes, okay. <laughs> nice. And that was how I signed my first artist. <laughs> That's so uh, cool. And, and now you're up to how many artists? Uh, Currently on the roster or in Uh, in its history? I
0: guess both, if you happen to know both numbers. Uh,
1: So currently on the roster is 10, which is the largest we've ever had. On average, we would have anywhere between 3 to 5. So this is the largest we've ever had our roster to be. Yeah. And uh, total – geez, that's a good question. I think we're up to – I think we're just past the 20 mark, actually. So we've represented over the past 11 years over 20 artists. And – Are you representing them in
0: different ways? Do certain artists sign on for different things or do you offer this just – the same – how does how does that process really work?
1: Yeah, and that, that also changed a lot of the years. So now what we do is we actually have three different divisions because we discovered in the past we did so much work for an artist, which we love to do. I'm the kind of person that is very hands-on, and if something just needs to get done, I just do it. Sure, which, yes. Which is in many ways great because I just I, – I don't let any boundaries prevent things from happening. But the same token, I got myself into a lot of trouble that way because I would way overextend myself. So, I decided, okay, I went back to the drawing board and I literally wrote down every single thing we've done for artists. And I realized there's just no way we can keep this up. Uh, Just, you know, from even from our team, there's just so much that that we're doing. And we're not, we're actually doing a disservice to the artists because we're trying to do so much, we're not being effective in those areas. Right. Okay. So, that's when we came up with three different divisions. So, we have the label side, which the, boil down to the basics literally means we represent the music so we represent the music in helping out with distribution uh fulfillment so for you know distributing cds we take care of that uh a lot of the logistical end on the back end we'll handle of course we'll also help out with promotion too uh depending upon what that is gotcha but uh a lot of it is just giving that back end support for an artist so they don't have to worry or think about those things that we've done for 11 years yeah Uh, So that's the label side for the management. Then we have a management division now. And that represents the artist's overall career. So that means we help them out with finding different opportunities, whether it's uh, getting a specific kind of show or developing some sort of partnership, anything along those lines. It's a very broad area, but basically what we do is we find opportunities for the artist. We negotiate on behalf of the artist. So if we're looking at different kinds of contracts, making sure that the contracts are fair, um, you know, if we're asking for any kind of money, whatever, whatever that exchange is, we right. help out with the artist and figuring those things out um, also finding ways of getting them different sources of revenue or even ways of saving them money too so finding like okay, we can you know work with this particular company and we get a discount this way or maybe we can barter here whatever the case is to help them save money too so it's a very broad aspect of it but that's the main areas that we focus on for management and then the third division which we uh, released not too long ago is coaching so a lot of people, uh, when they submit to us, we that's when I started A Twenty. I wanted to help out as many artists as possible. So uh, we, you know, as long as we liked the music and we liked the people behind the music, that usually was the main criteria for wanting to work with them. Right. But you know, as we continue to progress, we realize that unfortunately that's not enough, especially for representation. We really need an artist to be at a certain point for it to make sense to represent them, and that's that's benefit for not just you know, looking out for us, that's looking out for the artists, too. If we're if we're representing them, but they don't have what we need to get these results to them, we, you know, we're not helping any of us out. So we had to be very honest about with ourselves about what artists need to do on their end for them to be ready for representation right. from us. <clears throat> yes. So but I still wanted to help out artists. So that's why we decided to create coaching, because with coaching, that aspect is Sitting down with the artist, finding out okay where you're at right now, where do you want to go, what problems are you having now, and getting to that point, and figuring those things out, talking with the artist, and and coming up with a list and saying okay, this is where you want to go, this is where your problems are, this is some and these are some things that you can now do next, and then giving them like a list so that this way they actually have a game plan of, as far as what to do next because a lot of artists they spin their wheels I've seen this happen with artists that are just starting artists that have been around for a long time Um, established artists like everybody needs a coach everybody needs a coach so they just—it's great to have that outside perspective of what's going on, and because a lot of times too, ours thinks that this is what their problem is, but in reality, it's something completely different. Huh. So we're able to find that out for them, and then say, okay, here's what to do next. And then we have—they have somebody on their case that we check up both them and saying, okay, did you do this? Did you do that? Wow. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reasons why, and it could be that you know they were busy, or you know they binge Netflix for the week. Whatever the case is, I don't judge. I do that too. So we, you know, but at least they have somebody that they are accountable for so that it keeps them moving in a forward direction.
0: Let's see if I understand this right. It's not quite as... Um, involved as the management, this is still a lot right. of the artists doing this, as opposed to when under the management section, that's
1: like more direct. Like, here's what to do. Exactly. So w- for the label and management, we're way more hands on. So we're coaching. It's more about these are the things that you can do to now. Move move forward. Gotcha. Because in that case scenario, it doesn't make a difference where you're at in your career. It doesn't make a difference what your music is. Because also, you know, we do have to pick sort of by genre on on what we represent based upon our network of resources, the people that we know. Sure. So, you know, for example, if we had a country artist come to us, that's, that'll be really hard for us to justify because we don't know the country music scene that well. Gotcha. We don't have our contacts in the country music scene. Yeah. So I, there's not much we can really help them. But with coaching, it really doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference if you're country artist, metal artist, indie, you know, pop singer. It doesn't make a difference because that the information we're giving you is usually very universal. It can be applied to, you know, it can be applied to them specifically. They just have to apply it specifically to their music to their genre okay sure
0: you know it's funny you do say that you're um you know you have uh specified sort of context maybe but i i do feel like from what i can think of your roster you guys do have like a, a varied it's not just like indie artists for example i feel like i mean maybe it might be mostly but i feel like
1: it's a it's a pretty wide swath of you know, artists on there. It is. I like to joke and say that if I ever threw every single one of my artists on a show, it still would make sense. But <laughs> that is, uh, but it's, it's true. I mean, you know, we represent uh, Megaran. We released a single with him not too long ago, and he's a nerdcore hip hop artist. And, you know, we've, you know, we just announced we signed the runner up in there in um, Alternative Pop Rock. Right. So, Right. You know, and we also have on our roster Sydney Sprague, and she's a, you know, indie singer, you know, indie folk singer songwriter. Right. So, very, you know, but still, you could throw them on the same bill, and people were going to enjoy each and one of those acts. And that's why I like working with them, is because of the crossover between genres of music. Yes. And that, ironically, is the best type of artist for us to work with, is that when there is that crossover of genres where they can hit a number of different scenes and people will enjoy their music their performance no matter what scene they're in right just representing quality artists
0: artists you believe in yeah absolutely
1: and again it's definitely a big part of it's the people behind it i don't work with artists unless i really believe in uh them as people you know i work with people that are hardworking, um that are motivated um very positive optimistic um but also are very realistic too they understand what is involved with this process and that usually it's a very, it's, it's, you know, we're in it for the long game. You know, we're not in it for a short term and you're trying to make the quick buck. We're right. in it to help them build a career for themselves and make something that's sustainable. And that's, extremely difficult to yes
0: do. that's that's really amazing Very that is hard. awesome yeah definitely um wow uh well let's see i just i sort of wanted to get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of some of the label aspects before we move on yeah um my next question was involving um uh placement for for like commercials or movies or tv do you get into any of that kind of stuff with your label
1: yes we were we're looking into it more right now the I've done a lot of homework into this for many, many years. And what I discovered is, unless you have a large catalog, it really is very challenging to get any kind of placement. So, usually, what we'll do right now is work with different publishers. And our catalog right now is relatively small. I mean, even though we represent 10 artists, you know, if you want to really reach out to music supervisors, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know, music supervisor is the one who makes a lot of the decisions of what gets into television and film. They work oh, okay. directly with the directors gotcha. and so forth. You always see that laser. in
0: the credits, the music yeah, super- you see yeah, music supervisor. Uh-huh. So yeah.
1: their job is to is to hunt and find the music and so the director says I'm looking for this type of mood or this type of thing or a lot of time they'll say it's like I want to, you know, have this Beatles song. Well, a Beatles song can, you know, it could be like 50k, 100k, <laughs> yeah. 200k, a million whatever the case is to get That song license. So they don't usually don't have that kind of budget for the film. So they go and find songs that are similar to that that get the point across that would be a fraction of the cost. That's how the game works. But the thing is, if a music supervisor, it's people have to understand when it, especially when it comes to music supervisors, but in the music industry in general, it's a very much a trust business, meaning that you have to build your reputation and you have to have that reputation that you are a reliable person and if you're not very few people are going to want to work with you and especially it's true with music supervisors music supervisors have zero time for anything they're constantly being bombarded on every angle so you have to make sure that you have all your T's crossed, all your I's dotted, and everything is in the right place so that you cause them no issues whatsoever. Yeah,
0: because they could just easily move right on.
1: Not only move right on, but music f- supervisors talk to each other. And if you're a problem, they'll talk to the other supervisor and say, don't deal with oh, those people. Oh, just Hollywood blacklist. You, you, and you literally get blacklisted. <laughs> yeah. So. It, that's why I do this very carefully and I do this very much with respect and I've talked to a number of music supervisors myself to understand how it works and I talk to a lot of music publishers because honestly, I would rather work with a music publisher that has those relationships in place that so this way I can say, hey, if you like anything in our catalog, let us know and we'll work directly with you. And, we'll, and so this way you represent the music for this type of placement so that this way it's an extra layer of protection right. for not only for ourselves but for our own artists and the likelihood of – it's not even just about getting placed but also making money from it too. I mean you know, if I said, hey, use our music for free. Sure. We'll get a bunch of placement in all these different areas. But it can be very lucrative for artists to get placed into television and film. So we are very careful about who we work with in that area. Right. I can imagine so after hearing about all that. Yeah. yeah wow.
0: Uh, well, I, I was just very curious about something like that and just curious as to what it takes, because it seems like um, it seems like that could be a, a very lucrative um, thing about running a label is being able to get those placements um, not just for the artist, but for the label as well. I think it helps everyone. So
1: it does, and we, we do have some of our artists. Are, we found publishers for them. Um, we've also had um, some success in placement. We've had um, some placement in commercials in the past, as well as some indie films that reached out to us for usage for oh, our cool. for our music too. So nothing huge, like nothing to write home about. But that's you know a, the ones that get those major placements are because they are working with publishers and right. uh, that have those connections and have the you know in uh, case. Point, one of the ones that in town that does a fantastic job is Fervor Records. And um, they're one of the most. Uh uh respected labels, uh, not just in town, but just in general out there. They're amazing people, the the uh, the owners behind it, and just their entire team is just amazing, amazing people. And they do a fantastic job of placement, but they've been doing it for a long time, a very, very long time, so that they built those relationships and they built their catalog to the point where they're able to get these type of placements. Right, and their catalog is bigger. Uh, way, is, way bigger. Right, yeah. right,
0: gotcha, which is, is, as we're learning, is uh, – comes comes into a factor when, when when dealing with these music supervisors. That's that's great. Thanks so much for, for expounding on some of that because I've been very interested in, in a lot of that and i I'm, I can only think some of the listeners might be as well. Um again, delving further into when working with artists, I all of, all of the albums that you guys release, no matter the artist or whatever, they all sound so good. I mean, you know, the, you're definitely putting out pro albums here. I'm curious if you have any say, or I guess maybe it all depends on an artist by artist factor. Do you work with certain recording studios or certain uh, masters? Uh, And do you continue to work with them or is it really whoever the artist is comfortable with? And then I'm just kind of curious about that aspect.
1: Yes, we're a very big believer in the chemistry between the producer and the artist. So uh, that always is the case. So sometimes they'll come to us and they already have somebody in mind. Sometimes they come to us and the recording's already done. And sometimes they have absolutely no idea who to work with. And in that case scenario, when they don't know who to work with, we do make recommendations on uh, producers that we worked with in the past that we know that we trust so um, Flying Blanket um, is one of them you know oh, Bob Hogue yeah. so and we've done a number of projects with him and uh, you know he's he's great to work with and, he, and Bob and I get along really really well so he, you know can't I know, go wrong there no you can't go wrong there and he does a spectacular job uh, I get along with him so well so I know I trust him I know that he's going to treat the artist, well, I know he's going to get everything done on time for when I need it on my end, so I don't have to worry about an artist if they decide to, to work with him. So we always make those recommendations, but at the end of the day, you know, if if they're not vibing with Bob or they don't think that he's the best one for the project, that's totally fine. Number one thing is that the artist has to be comfortable with the producer because they have to trust the producer with, this, with their recordings. Right. So... Uh, yeah, we do have a number of producers, and and um, and you mentioned even mastering too. So we know a number of people that we can at least rec- recommend. Yeah, and we can talk to. But yeah, at the end of the day, I I let the artist makes that decision. Right and which ultimately I I would have
0: guessed that but I do like the idea of you know giving your albums a consistent sort of se- a quality of sound that you know will be there.
1: Yeah and that that's always the thing. We always with, with every any artist that we work with whether they have the recordings done already before they work with us or not it has to be at a certain quality. And that that is something that we can't really you know we can't avoid. I mean, we have to make yeah. sure that you know if it's going to be out there. A, it has to sell. I mean, for all of our sakes. But B, like, we want to be something that we're all proud of. And again, that that's a very. I can't tell you how many times I get submissions and the recordings are just not there, and it's always heartbreaking for me to tell the artists that it's just the recordings aren't there.
0: Right. I don't, I don't
1: want it to, you know, to sugarcoat the issue, but the same token, you know, that I know how much work an artist puts into it and how much money that they put into it too, and to tell them it's not up to par for what we need, you know, I. I, I always feel so bad when I have to make that kind of a uh, response back to an uh, to an artist. Well, believe me, as you since you're talking to someone who does that four days
0: a week with like a hundred songs a day, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, wow, it it gets really tough sometimes because you know they're all putting their their heart and soul into this, and then you're just gosh, you just hear so much music that, and yeah, exactly. And at what point does does the line cross where even if it's a I think something that has to be really 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 special and good when the re- the recording quality isn't there but yet the song still grabs you.
1: That yeah, that's a very much a rarity. That happened happened a couple times maybe and usually I'll give some sort of words of encouragement and so forth to them and I'll try to at least help them out in some way saying, "Hey, look at like the song's there but you need to, you know, right. save up money, put into, you know, go into the studio, re-record the song, whatever the case is. Right. So remix, master. Remix, yeah. do something uh-huh. with it. Um, so, you know, sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't. But, yeah, I mean, that has happened a couple of times where it's like that, but... I know it was a funny thing too is I'm just thinking about it is that um, because I've received so many submissions over the years too at this point is that I also look for it's not just the recordings themselves and, and that's the thing it's like if they were just very nice and open and honest and reaching out to me and you know they actually took the time to look into what A20 Records is about mm-hmm. and who we represent you know I'll try to help them out in some way you know I'll try to give them you know some pointers or whatever the case is because um, you know at the very that's the very least I can do, especially if they took the time and really felt like we would be a good fit for them then you get the other submissions that they just you can clearly tell they just blanked it out They're like you know I've literally uh, we have a submission form on our site and it asks us why 8020 and I swear I had some answers that are like I don't know you're a label or something. Oh man never say that people. Never say, never say that. Say that. I, like what are you thinking really? You're just like oh sure why not and, you know t- uh, trust me that d- not only does not that not work but it's such a huge turnoff that chances are even if you you know try to submit again or you know, we find that you were doing something else, chances are we're not going to work with you because if you didn't take the time to actually look into us and see what we do, uh, that's just going to be a bad relationship. And I'd say that goes for every label, every blog, every single thing Radio, podcast, you name it. If you don't do your homework and you're just like blanking, uh, you know, just I like to call it the shotgun approach, which is just, just blasting everybody yeah, right. and hoping that works. Sometimes it works, but honestly, uh, for me, it's a huge turn off. I, right. I, I mean, you know, we've been both doing this for so long. We know when when artists are doing that, and you know, or or their representation does that too, which is even worse.
0: So I really I have That's you actually worse.
1: listened to the you know the podcast? Have you actually looked at our roster, or you know, did you know did any kind of due diligence at all? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, well, I did want to briefly ask then, though, that you do take open submissions through your
1: website. Sometimes. We actually turn it off recently. We oh, just, okay, OK. So we, 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 we turn it on and off. It uh, depends upon how much we have to deal with. Um, right now, we have so many uh, releases coming out in the next three months that – Literally, I mean, there's some submissions I haven't responded to that submitted to us like a month or two ago, and I, I feel bad for that. And usually I try to be on top of that as much as possible. But when it comes to that point where we're just getting too much coming in and we have too much going on internally, I just have to flip the switch right. and say, okay, I can't take any right now. Absolutely. So it really just depends upon what we have. Usually we have at least the next the next three to six months planned out. So if we know that after six months we don't have too much going on and we're wrapping up a lot of things we have going on currently with artists, sometimes we'll open up submissions again okay. um, for people. So I mean, let's put it this way: you know, if you know if the right artist comes along the way, we're not going to necessarily say no. But at the same token, too. Uh, you know, just for the respect of the RS, I don't want to have submissions open when I can't even promise I can give a response right now. Right. And so, then,
0: Especially now, as you've said, you're at the largest you've ever been. Yeah, it's
1: the largest we've ever been. I mean, we have so much so much coming out in the next couple of months. I mean, I, we've never been this active when it comes to releases before, ever. Wow,
0: cool. Well, that actually kind of leads me into the next question I, I wanted to ask you, which was... Um, how do you go about promoting shows? I believe have you done like 80, 20 record showcases in the
1: past? We have. In fact, one we do a couple of shows uh, a year depends upon what it is. But the one that we do every year is called the Guilty Pleasure Show. Yes. And the Guilty Pleasure Show is a concept where we bring on artists and they do sets of only Guilty Pleasure songs. Yeah, So rad. Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys. But we we, uh, we leave it up to interpretation. So if we've had artists do all Disney songs before. Um, they've done, like, 90s rock songs. Like, we've had everything. So we leave it up to interpretation because I, I always love to see what the artist thinks of when they think of a Guilty Pleasure uh, song. Yes. And uh, it's always a blast. So we had all these amazing uh our uh bands have done it in the past so um it's a lot of fun so we we do that every single year uh but just because it's it's you know we just love to do it it was a show that uh actually um uh chelsea from fairy bones and i initially came up with together and we did that uh geez oh six six years ago we started it so we just kind of ran with it since then and uh we just we just love doing it. It's a lot of fun. It's That's a show really that cool. I. W- it's a show that I like. I would like to go to. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and so then, do you um have input? I guess well, maybe it depends on the le- the level of um sort of artistic involvement you are with with the current artists. But I guess when your ro- artists on your roster throw shows, do you are you involved with promoting those in in ways too, or do you leave yeah. a lot of that to maybe the artist and their management?
1: It, a lot of it depends on the situation to right. be perfectly honest um, I mean, we'll promote every single show that an artist has it just really de- depends on how involved like if it's an album release show usually we're much more involved with an sure, album release certainly. show if it's a show that we are specifically presenting obviously we're involved in that process and we've done that before we would help out our own artists if they need to uh, put together some sort of show and they'd have nothing on the docket sometimes we will do an A20 Records present show we either will make a theme out of it or whatever the case is and then we'll puts it together and that obviously will be very much involved with so uh, sometimes uh, case in point we just did a couple weeks ago there was a phoenix fan fusion that was in yes, town yes yeah so azia records had their pop-up shop right. at arizona center so as soon as they made that announcement i'm a huge nerd by the way so like you know star trek star wars marvel you name it i'm in it so uh so when they mentioned that they were going to do this during Phoenix Fan Fusion at the Arizona Center, I reached out to them and said, okay, whatever you want to do I'm game four, I just want to be involved. This is a super cool idea. That's really smart. Yeah. So we went back and forth with a number of ideas, and then we came across with doing performances at uh, their pop-up shop. And one thing led to another, and we ended up booking five of our acts. That's amazing. For that whole weekend. So it was fantastic. We called it the 8020 Records Takeover, and Azia promoted it, we promoted it, and everyone had a blast. Like it was just a fantastic time. So, uh, so we, we worked with them directly on putting that whole thing together. And that was a benefit for us because, you know, it got, you know, not only recognition for the label itself, but also it helped out uh, five of our artists because we were able to get them all on the bill and be able to perform during the Fan Yeah, which,
0: which I'm sure they had no complaints about. You no, know? everyone
1: had a great time. Right. It was, it was a lot of fun. That
0: is so cool. And that, that kind of leads me into my next question it's related um and 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 this is uh what is your experience with the press like and uh do you have positive experiences with them and and how do you go about contacting the press these days for these album release
1: shows for new albums for for anything that's a good question i love this question because of the fact of what uh, of yab yum especially and you know honestly I go back and forth with press these days, and I think it's a it's a big struggle of of understanding what the you know of both what the press needs as well as what we need from the press as well, and uh, and obviously especially with this day and age the relevancy of press right and. Uh, because these days, because music is so accessible, if I say, "Hey, go check out this band," I don't necessarily have to read an article about it. I can right. just go online and just yeah. you know find the artist on Spotify and make my own decision if I like the artist or not. However, at the same token, we you know artists need need to have some sort of credibility. If we say an artist is amazing, that you know it, we're representing them. Of course, right. we're going to say the artist <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Right? We you know it helps when we have a third party um, that is giving us. Uh, An unbiased perspective on that artist and talking about the artist and what they like and what they don't like about them. Because that's the other thing, too, is that we want articles that are going to be honest. So, you know, we rather have we rather a journalist not write an article at all. Or um, if they don't believe in the artist, but they're just going to write something up just for the sake of writing something up, right? Right. Or they're asking for money, so which is oh man, yeah. I would love to talk to you about that one. Yeah, please. Please do. I mean, I'm very much against that because I wanted to make sure that if I'm working with a journalist, it has to be something credible. And I understand, especially these days, because journalists are are, most of the time are doing this out of passion. You know, they don't get much money from doing this work, and I totally get it. But at the same token, we want to make sure that on our end it's going to be a genuine article you know we don't I, i you know there's some benefits for having articles being posted like obviously for seo reasons and for a number of other reasons it's great to have articles be published but the true value for us is somebody who's going to write an authentic article about that artist about the album or music video whatever the case is and actually took the time to to analyze it and to give you know, some sort of feedback, ideally constructive feedback, because that that in turn is going to you know we're looking at the quality rather than the quantity. We want quality articles that are going to direct, even if it ends up being, even if five people come to you know come and check out our artist from that article, if those five people now become lifelong f- fans of the artist, right that is a solid one as far as I'm concerned I'd rather that have that than have you know a couple hundred people or a couple thousand people read the article but you know there was nothing in it that really got them interested or excited and didn't follow through I'd rather have those five people become the fans than a thousand people get their eyeballs on the article
0: yes yes and I am just amazed at how you know you yeah, have I mean, just turned 10 so congratulations oh, oh well thank you but yes over the time certainly publicists would, Start sending us emails about hey you know we'll pay to have this article put in. But nowadays, how many just straight up artists when they're submitting they'll they'll say we'll pay you to put this in. And I just we just run from such an ethical model. I just have to state that Yabum has never accepted payment for an article that we've covered and we don't plan on doing so. I, I
1: very much <laughs> admire that and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy working with Yabion with your entire team is because of that reason. Is that because you don't accept everything and the, and you are very particular about what you cover and that's something that I very much admire. But you also are looking for your... you. Uh, set yourself as tastemakers where you're giving up and coming artists a chance to get coverage as well. And that's something that's also rarity because, you know, if you know, there's so much pressure and again, it's it's this is not to this is more about the situation rather than the how how journalists are handling it, because I understand both aspects. I also understand the other end where, you know, there's so much pressure about making sure their money's being made and of traffic's course. coming in, because yes. everyone has bills to pay at the end of the day, right. and if you're talking about an up-and-coming artist that nobody's going to click on or care about, then you know that's not making any money, and I get that aspect too. So I think we're in a very interesting time right now when it comes to press of where they, st- I still feel that they are important, but their, their role, like anything else, is definitely changing, and their whole business as, model. Their whole business model is completely <laughs> yeah. changing. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing too is that the you know you know sticking with just banner ads that's n- that's not going to last much longer if not already. I mean right. that's just going the way of the dodo. So you really need to f- you know press needs to find other ways of finding sources of income. Absolutely. And, yes. Uh, you know, and you know, and the irony of all this is that there's so much demand for content right now. It's crazy. Right, certainly. It's content crazy. of every kind. Of every kind. You know, the fact that you're doing a podcast right now on top of running Yum and do all those things, which I think is a fantastic idea, you know, you have to start thinking outside of the box and find other ways of, of bringing in income that doesn't necessarily uh, uh, affect your integrity. Right,
0: absolutely. That's a great way to state that, and and it leads me to ask you because I wanted to ask you about your new podcast. The last time we talked, you had mentioned to me that you're starting a new podcast, so I want to find yeah. out more about this. What, what's it called? When's it coming out? Or is it out?
1: It's not out yet. Okay. So we just landed on the name. Uh, so it's going to be called the Eighty Twenty Show. Oh, psh, hey! Wow, <laughs> big surprise, right? <laughs> So, Can't go wrong with that, though. Yeah, so it's called The 8020 Show, and it's going to be a number of different things, but it's going to be a combination of interviews. So we're going to interview our own artists. We are going to interview other colleagues in the industry. So, of course, we'd love to have you come on our oh, podcast. Oh, okay, sure. Great. So, and it's going to be mostly based upon the music industry, but it's going to be a lot of You know, things that are about stories of people's past, how they got into music, as well as uh, things related to business in general. So I'm going to have other people come in, and we'll just talk strictly, straight up business thing tactics and ideas. Um, We're going to talk about, uh, you know. I'll, it will be a lot of different things, but definitely going to be a lot about different people's stories and how and you know, what they, their experiences are like that hopefully the audience will enjoy. And then on top of that, too, it'll be I've done a lot of speaking engagements, um, both large and small. So I've recorded a number of them. So I'm going to release those as oh, well, Cool, because cool. I feel like that can be a lot of useful information for Absolutely. people uh, in the music industry, too. And, uh We'll see what else. I, it's going to be definitely a catch-all of a lot of different things. So just capturing a lot of the things that we're doing from an audio basis and putting this out as a podcast.
0: Yeah, but a way certainly to promote what you're doing in the 20 Records, to promote your artists – and then to promote different people in town, I mean— Oh, yeah, doing... that's one
1: of the—there's there, there's a reason why we're doing the podcast. I mean, number one reason is that I felt—actually, that's a funny story. I didn't even think I would do a podcast and because I actually hate my own voice. Like, everybody says the same thing, and I'm no exception. Everyone hates their own voice. So I never thought that I would ever do my own podcast. And uh, Danny Cutler from KWSS, we did— um, we did a guilty pleasure show together, so oh, okay. we we combined uh, our guilty pleasure show with their fundraiser, and this was about two three years ago. And I, uh, she asked me if I could create a radio spot, and I told her, I said, uh, I don't know, I don't like my voice. This is gonna sound so weird, you know. So. She said, "Just, just do it, please." And I said, "Okay, fine," because uh, you know I love Danny Keller to Absolutely. death. So I said, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." So I went to my buddy who also has his own podcast, and so we recorded it. He gave me some tips and things like that, and we posted the radio spot. And I kept on getting compliments on a radio spot. Hey, and it was so funny, and it was not just people that I knew, but like people who had like like just maybe met me a couple of times would comment on my my radio spot and I said oh, okay I mean maybe I should create a podcast and we just you know I'm a huge be- I love podcasts but you know if I was going to do one I would end up being the host I knew that would be the case so I said, okay. So I started coming up with ideas and I knew then I didn't want to do podcasts for the sake of creating podcasts. I wanted something that will will be what I felt would be valuable that I can at least bring to the table that's a little bit different than other podcasts that are out there, or you know, just having my own spin on it in one form or fashion. So and then of course too, what would the benefits be to us? So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, even though I would love to do this for the sake of doing it, I also, you know, want to see how I can incorporate into everything else we're doing, which you're absolutely correct. It's definitely uh, hopefully the idea is that it becomes a platform for our own artists that they can go on. Ha- Um, go on our podcast we interview them so that gives them additional exposure to new audience Uh, it also um, again helps uh, develop our branding as well because we continue to show that we're an authority in the space of music industry and you know all kinds of different things Absolutely,
0: yeah. Um, that sounds really cool, and I'm glad we could sort of just preview this on on here, just the idea of you c- coming out with this. I'm really excited about that. I, I wish you the best of luck with the show. Oh, thank
1: you. I'll probably be coming to you for asking for some tips as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anytime, Mike, anytime. Um, gosh, as as – you know, we're getting closer to the end of the show here. There's definitely still a few questions I want to ask you. And I feel like this is a question that I could have just asked this question and the whole hour could have been on this question okay, alone. I'm, ex- I'm excited. But and again, we've talked about this um, before in the past, and that's why I wanted to go more on the record about this. But, you know, you've been at this 11 years now. I wanted to ask, what are some of the biggest changes you've noticed in the Phoenix music scene? Just not only in the, in the 11 years, but even in the past five years that, that you could comment on. And hasn't it
1: gotten better? In, in, or what do you think? I think it's a very good question. I think it definitely has gotten better. I think that the, the Phoenix music community now has gr- evolved to the point where they're supportive of each other, but also not accepting as much mediocrity. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in the past that we were supporting artists for the sake of supporting artists. And the problem with that mentality is that it doesn't push anybody to be greater than what they are. Right. And nowadays I feel like that everyone is, you know, the music scene as a whole, I'll put it that way. And the music scene as a whole is not only supportive, but also is engaging and becoming Better artists, better musicians, and not just within our own town, but then also expanding on a national level. And I feel that is so important. I feel like, you know, a lot of artists. Feel that it's one way or another. They either are local or they're national. And I see it in a very different way. I see it in that it's a combination of the two. I think that you should always support your local community. They're the ones who are always going to be their your your biggest fans, your biggest supporters. Yes. Uh, at the same token, though, you should also take it upon yourself to expand. And once you're ready to do so, and it's very hard to know when that exactly is but to also expand yourself to a national level. Because when you do that, then you're, again, you're in turn helping your local community because you're letting people know we came out of Phoenix, we came out of Arizona. Yes, And you should also check out the other amazing talent that's in Arizona.
0: Yeah, which, and I definitely feel there are multiple acts on your roster doing exactly that. Well, thank you. Absolutely. And um, I I can only see more of that happening in the future. I I definitely feel like Um, you and your team are definitely doing the best that you can at promoting, you know, like, hey, here are great Phoenix artists coming out of here, but you know, should be and are getting national recognition, even international recognition. You know, let's be yeah. honest.
1: No, well, I mean that, that's the thing is we always look at both angles. I mean, that you know, we talked about before working with Zia Records, but then we also, wor- you know, do other things too. We did a showcase a number of years ago for CMJ when CMJ, CMJ was still a thing. So we we com- uh, collaborated with a number of different companies, um, including Orange Amplifiers, to do a showcase at oh, CMJ. That's awesome. We we go every year to the NAM convention and we build amazing relationships with companies over. Uh, of Vietnam, we yes. go to South by Southwest. So we go all over the U.S. and, like you said, all over the world to uh, to get our artists more opportunities and for them to be uh, to for other people to be aware of them, not just within Arizona itself. And again, it has nothing against Arizona; it's just necessary to grow. Right, right. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to
0: the the question I, I asked, I I feel like Phoenix itself, the actual. Phoenix City proper has just grown so much better as far as being a supportive music scene
1: absolutely honest to be perfectly honest a lot of it has to do with uh, stateside and Charlie Levy Yeah, I think when yep. Crescent Ballroom opened up that completely changed the ball game yep it completely I agree I, it's like a everything. marker in time of like how you can see a difference yep if you think about it, before Crescent Ballroom most of downtown Phoenix by 6-7 o'clock at night was a ghost town <laughs>
0: the the tumbleweed's literally rolling literally rolled
1: I remember those days I would go down to downtown Phoenix for whatever reason and unless there was some show happening in the arena or there was a, a baseball game nobody was downtown it was literally nobody was downtown but as soon as Crescent opened up People started going down there for, for evening shows, and then other businesses started cropping up. Other restaurants started cropping up. Other restaurants there were starting to be uh, open later because that was the other problem too. You go down there, you want to grab a bite to eat. They're all closed at 6, 7 o'clock because nobody right. was down there. Right. So now you had other restaurants staying open until 8, nine, ten, eleven o'clock or past then. And then um, especially when Valley Bar opened up, that was a big changer, too. Right, right. Um, You know, then uh, Copper Blues was a a big influence in Stand Up Live when those opened up. And they were within years of each other, of them opening up. So as soon as that happened, you started seeing that nightlife being built in downtown Phoenix area. And now that's where everyone goes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I gotta, I gotta give credit to Cooperstown,
0: who was always a gig, a, a spot for gigs, and you could eat there. But I definitely feel like that place was based off of, again, like arena crowds, like getting. They made, mainly got their audience. I feel like. From a lot of the crowd that found out about it
1: by going to these other sporting events, I I've mean, done yeah, I've done a couple of shows at Cooperstown, and that was the biggest challenge. It was ironically, even though the location is downtown, because of where it is downtown, right. you're really only getting people who are coming from the games. Yeah, so if not, the the parking there is really tough. Right, so a lot of people don't want to deal with the parking down there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that I found was a, a very big challenge in doing any kind of shows at Cooperstown for those reasons. Where you know the other locations, Valley Crescent, Van Buren, uh, any of the ones downtown area, usually can find parking fairly easily, and that's that's yes. a big deal. Like people, it really is. Like people are going to ask those questions, like how easy it is to park. Do I have to pay ten, twenty dollars to park? Right. You know, those are questions. Like so, if you if it's very easy to park and it's very affordable or free to park. That's you know that makes it a lot easier for people to come out to shows. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. And and I believe
0: our light rail is always getting better, even though there's you know a lot of controversy right now as it heads south on Central. But every time the light rail goes somewhere, it's always super controversial. Yeah. I I, I do feel like that has helped the downtown all every aspect of downtown Phoenix grow. Um, but it certainly has to have helped these venues as well
1: 100% agree and to be perfectly honest I don't know too much about uh, both sides of the controversy I'm overall a big believer in, in having uh well done public transportation and what I mean by well done meaning that it's efficient it's reliable and it's safe so if you know as long as the city of Phoenix is doing that which I think they are doing with the light rail at least from what I've seen I think that only helps our city
0: Right, yeah, you,
1: and you've lived
0: here since? 2000. 2000, okay, and I moved in 01. Oh, wow, yeah. oh, really? Yeah, so we've definitely seen this place grow and change over yeah, time.
1: I remember when I was, just before I moved down here, I, I kept on visiting here, and the 101 was being built. So. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it, we've seen a lot of changes in this town,
0: <laughs> a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, okay, so one of the final questions I like to ask each of the guests I've had on this show is... Um, is this one and is running 8020
1: Records? Is this your day job, quote unquote? Yeah, it is now. That's amazing. Uh, what people don't realize or may not know is that for the longest time, I mean, we've been around for 11 years, but out of those 11 years, about four, uh, about seven years of that was part time. So the majority of the existence of 8020 Records was uh, mostly uh, a side business, a side job for myself. Um, And I decided to do that way because I knew how different we were going to have our model be in comparison to other labels. And there's so much risk that's involved with it. So I made sure that I kept my full-time job. And I was very fortunate. My full-time job uh, was very – flexible as far as where I can work and what I can do and uh, so it gave me a lot of opportunities to do as much as I could but then I realized there was a certain point where I had to jump in with both feet if I was going to really take it to the next level Right. so that's when I I quit my uh, full time job about four years ago to do this wow And now you've
0: been doing this as you – I mean, I I put day job in air quotes that obviously the audience can't see because you work at every hour of the day. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Everyone's like, when's your day off? I'm like, I don't have a day off. What do you want to do? And I'll just make the time to do it because there is no day off. I mean, every (laughs) –
0: Exactly. Days off are gone. Days off are gone. (laughs) I mean,
1: I try to have days where I have personal days. Yes, yes. Where – I mean, even then, I'm going to end up doing 80-20 work. I mean, that's just inevitable. But there will be days where maybe I'll only do a handful of things here and there. But that's about it. Otherwise, I'll just have a personal day off and, you know, you know, either for myself and just relax or or just get some things done, whatever the case is, like get my, you know, tires rotated, I don't know, like adult yeah, things, sure, right? Sure, yeah, sure, so, yeah. uh, But yeah, at this point, like, you know, day job is very much in quotations because, you know, some days I'm working, uh, waking up at 5.30 a.m. and I'm getting, you know, and I'm starting my jo- my day at like 7, 8 a.m. Or other days I'm not waking up until like 9, 10 a.m., but that's also because I have a show that I'm going to in the evening, and I know I'm going to be up until like right. 12 a.m., 1 a.m. doing this, you know, working the show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's really amazing. Uh, and, and I'm super, super just awed by that. That That's great. Great to hear. Thank you. Um, this sort of leads me into um, what do you absolutely love about running 8020, and where do you think you can improve as you go forward with the label?
1: No question about it. It's the people. And when I mean by people, I mean every everybody that I work with, my the artists that we represent, uh, my team, uh, the uh, colleagues that I have in the you know the Phoenix music scene, the uh, colleagues that I have um, with other companies, um, uh, other people that are in the industry. It's amazing to see all these different walks of life and people's different perspectives. And uh, the more that I get into it, the more people that I find that are genuinely just good people that generally just want to see others succeed. And I find that actually the higher up that I go, the people who are very prominent in the music industry on a national, international level – is more the case and to me that's such a, a positive thing to see yeah that's amazing and no question about it I mean I'm the kind of people that kind of person that loves meeting other people like one-on-one so I you know for me that that's the biggest joy and also, having some sort of impact in in people's lives, whether it's my own uh, my own team, my own interns. I have had interns that worked for me that went on and started their own companies, their own labels. Ooh. I've had intern. I have an intern that now works at Fender, and I have um, one of my current team members. She found um, she's now doing graphic design, and uh, it's amazing, you know, to at least be a small part of that process and to help. Change their lives in some form or fashion. Yeah, and uh, same same thing is true with our own artists, seeing, getting them to the point of being able to release their music. That especially when they were stuck in doing so, uh, to me that's by far the greatest joy, and this is exactly the reason why is is the people that I get to work with every single day. So. What was the other question?
0: Oh, that, yeah, that's really awesome. The, my other question was, where do you feel that you can improve eighty twenty records as you move oh, forward? I, I'm, conti- that, I'm that's another podcast. I, episode yeah, itself. I'm assuming that you're going to be trying to continue forward with eighty twenty records for the foreseeable oh, future.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a constantly changing process, right. and that's the thing. It's always being aware of what we're doing well and what we could be doing better. And there's no question about it. The, the thing I feel like we can definitely do better is being more efficient for the work that we do. So. That's that's why you know we did we broke out into those various different divisions yes. for that exact reason, and we don't we still don't know yet if it's that's going to work for us or not. But we realize that you know we we have to be very specific as far as the work that we do for artists and to make sure that we're effective in those areas. Our always our ultimate goal at the end of the day is making sure that uh, that the twenty percent that we're making that is at the very least equal to the amount of work that we're putting into it for the artists, or ideally making it so that the value that we're bringing to the table is far greater than the 20% that we're earning off of their music is the goal. But also making sure that that value that we're adding doesn't also mean that we're, you know, are breaking our own backs and doing so. Absolutely. So that's why we build a lot of partnerships. We build a lot of systems and doing all all that nerdy stuff on the back end, all that business stuff on the back end, is to find out how, how can we make this as efficient as possible, and have them. You know, it's, it comes down to the eighty twenty rule. This all comes down to the eighty twenty rule. It's like, how can we make it so that, you know, where twenty percent of our efforts are yielding eighty percent of results for our artists? Yeah, wow. and that always is changing. The uh, big case in point, the content thing. That was one of the things we want to do is that we are you know, in you know, uh we're talking about even press. Outreach takes so much time. That's why you have PR agencies that co- you know, that can charge anywhere between eight hundred thousand, fifteen hundred a month to doing it for just one artist. And I understand why, because of how much work is this involved with it. Yes. So you know, but I also understand, too, that not every artist can pay for that. So, okay, well, we, we can't do that all that work ourselves, but at the same token, we understand the importance of press. We also understand um, you know, the, the value is there. So what can we do that, that can maximize on doing that kind of outreach without doing all that work? So those are things that we're always trying to figure out and trying to get better at ourselves. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, um,
1: here it is. The final question
0: I have for you is, What's next in the works for you and 8020 Records? Could you tell us about some of the albums coming out or shows coming out or just
1: even more generally speaking, maybe where you plan on taking things? Absolutely. I mean, uh, so obviously we have the podcast that we're trying to come out. Uh, Don't know when yet. We're still in the early stages. I'm hoping August. But that's a very big hope. You know how long it takes. I do. I certainly do. We're we're on a good track. So I'm I'm hoping by August, maybe September to get it launched. Well, stay tuned for that, everyone. So uh, as far as our art is concerned, we have uh, so the runner up, which is one of our newest artists, they're releasing a single uh, next Friday. Uh, well, actually, depending on when this podcast gets released, it would oh, be yes. So um, we have so I'll put it this way: so we have a single coming out uh, for the runner up. They also have an album release show on June 29th, ninth. I think that's a Saturday. I believe right? it is. Yes. Okay, I'm looking at my channel. Okay, cool. Yep, it is. So uh, on June 29th at the Valley Bar, and that's with the uh, Paper Foxes as well as the Hourglass oh, Cats. Oh, cool. That'll so that's be, be a be, great show. That's going to be an awesome show. So we have that coming up. Um, we have a new music video coming out soon for Break the Robot called Life Goes On. Yes. So that's coming out as well. We have uh, Sydney Sprague. We just released one of her singles recently, and she's coming out with her new EP soon. So we have that, and she's going to have a new music video coming out soon, too. Excellent. We have, uh, we just announced Promise to Myself recently, and they are going to be releasing new music in the next couple of months, so probably towards the end of the year. So- so what else we have going on? Oh, Boy, yeah, that's great. So, uh, we got a lot of stuff going yeah. on. And uh, and some things probably when this podcast comes out will have already uh, be announced, too. So we have uh, every single one of our artists is having something in the works.
0: And where do you recommend folks go to keep up to date with on that? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Wh-
1: all three. All- We're on all three of the platforms. So uh, just do – eight. usually most of them are 8020 records because the slash messes up things. Sure, so. yeah. So if you just do 8020 records, you'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, as well as Facebook. Facebook, or you can do 8020records.com, and all of our stuff is up on there, too.
0: Okay, great. That is awesome. Well, Mike Zimmerler, thank you so much again for coming down and getting this Band Basics podcast going again.
1: Good. I'm glad to be out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I sure did learn a lot of info. I hope all you listeners did as well, because uh, Mike expounded upon a lot of great subjects. So, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for listening to this installment of Band Basics, and thank you to our production partners at YAB music and arts our theme music was composed by jj cnb and thank you to apache tattoo and chandler for sponsoring this episode for all your tattoo needs brandon at apache tattoo is here to help bring your ideas to life see you on the next one